You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Before we jump into our episode, a word about our first ever sponsor. On our podcast, we've sometimes touched on theology, but we've never dealt at all with prayer. If you're curious about that, or you're just looking for some more joyful Jewish learning, take a listen to the Light Lab podcast. Hosts Eliana Light, Rabbi Josh Warshawski, and Cantor Ellen Dreskin hold the gems of Jewish liturgy to the light, exploring the many facets of our spiritual tradition. Plus, hear conversations with educators, artists, and leaders who are playing with prayer in fascinating ways. Their mission is to make Jewish liturgy and prayer practice accessible and meaningful to all seekers, and they hope you'll join them. Find them at lightlab.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on to our show. Hey, this is John Spirasavet and uh, co-hosting today with Leora Kling-Perkins. Hi, Leora. Hi, John. It's been many, many months, actually, since we were on together, and even, even more months, actually, since we recorded the podcast that we did together. So remind everyone where you're doing your rabbiing. Thanks. Yeah, it's fun to be back. I'm the Associate Rabbi at Temple of Muna in Lexington, Massachusetts. Right down the road from me up here in New Hampshire, which is great. And although we don't see each other nearly enough for being neighbors as as we are. And so perhaps even more significantly, uh, you've had many months to reflect on on who you are and which of our many wonderful Good Place characters you, you feel you're most like right now. Yeah, so I... I'm still going to go with Chidi as the one who I'm most like, but for the one that I kind of aspire to be, I'm going to pick something that's this episode specific and I'm going to pick Simone Um, because uh, one of the things I really like and admire about Simone in this episode is that she's just not afraid to call things as she sees them. And she is very incisive and insightful in the way that she looks at the world and she feels confident in her judgment. Now, it's interesting because obviously Team Cockroach is worried about the way in which she can make snack judgments, which is obviously a problem. And yet in this episode, she really is confident calling out somebody who needs to be called out when the rest of the team is not. And she really, she's able to look around, make an assessment and figure out when it's necessary to act on that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it's interesting that you you choose Simone as you're striving to be because the ways in which I know you, Leora, up until the part about snap judgments, which I'm sure we'll come back to, I would have said that sounds like you. You're a person who is thoughtfully and skillfully outspoken and outwritten. Outwritten, outwritten is not a word that that means what it, it should mean, the same as outspoken. But it, <laughs> nobody outwrites you, I'm sure. But I don't know about that. But yeah, no, I, I think. I think sometimes, sometimes I really do, you know, admire the way in which she she's, she's comfortable calling it as she sees it. And I think sometimes that can be a challenge in different situations or, or I can second guess myself and take a little bit of time, which sometimes is good, but, but it was, it was nice seeing, seeing Simone do that in this episode. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get into the episode. Give us our summary. Okay. Chapter 45, a chip Driver Mystery, written by Lizzie Pace and directed by Steve Day. Halfway through the new experiment, Michael relates the story of the past week to Bad Janet, who is being held prisoner in Janet's void. After a moderately successful ski trip with the new humans, Grant seems to be behaving better. 
But everything is thrown into turmoil after Brent writes a terrible novel featuring characters based on insulting caricatures of Tahani and Chibi. Over a golf game, Michael tries to advise Brent to see mistakes as opportunities for improvement. Eleanor tries to coax Simone and Tahani into giving Brent gentle feedback, but they refuse. Brent's bad apology eventually leads him and Chidi to come to blows. Meanwhile, John walks in on Jason teaching Chidi to dance as a way of overcoming his aversion to spontaneity, thus discovering Jason's true identity, and Chidi tries to convince John that he should keep Jason's secret. After the bad week, the original humans go back to the drawing board with small ideas to help the new humans improve. Michael explains to Bad Janet that this is the true indicator of the goodness of humans, and instead of marbleizing her, he releases her, along with a copy of his and Janet's manifesto on humans to take. Mm, all right. So what made you laugh in the episode? So Bad Janet made me laugh. There is this line where she's trying to prove to Michael how terrible humans are and not worthy of hope. And she she gives his examples. She said, I know everything about humans, wars, murders, women in $400 yoga pants refusing to vaccinate their children and vindictive nerds at Apple changing the charger cable shape. Once yes. again. <laughs> from, the, from the truly horrific to the mundane. And yet I, I really am frustrated <laughs> the changing charger cable at Apple. So like, You're an Apple. Are you? Do you use... it. I, I do have an iPhone. It's true. It's my only <laughs> Apple device. Everything else I have is still PC, but yeah. I have a, I have both a MacBook Air, which I am recording this on, and also an iPhone. And for some reason, the iPhone charger particularly is the one that I've, I'm doing a lot of jiggling right now to get it to seat properly and actually charge. <laughs> <laughs> I had it to reduce the writing. The time and it's still not working for you. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, I went to bed after everybody in the house. And for my alarm clock, I had to write someone a note saying, wake me up. <laughs> because I couldn't set my iPhone alarm. Couldn't charge my phone. Yeah, that's, that's great. The thing I uh, say about the yoga wearing uh, moms not vaccinating the kids turned out retroactively to be a little too soon. I oh, think. Yeah. Too, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I have very strong feelings about people not choosing to vaccinate mm. when it impacts other people's health, but, oh, yeah. um, but, but, but the charger cable, I can laugh at the <laughs> other, the other line from the episode that I wrote down was, you know, Brent's awfulness. is just like so pervasive, but then the piece where he was charging for his book and, <laughs> and then at the end when bad Janet says, Oh, did you bring me Brent's book? <laughs> and Michael says, I didn't have $65. <laughs> 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 Uh, the the thing about snap judgments the great line about simone she tends to make snap judgments about people and he rants a guy who repeatedly confirms the accuracy of her snap judgments that that was a winner for me but i think it also like points out the problem with the with the approach that the team was taking which they eventually all agreed to but but it takes them a little while like they actually mess up in this episode quite a lot when they keep trying to convince Simone to to placate Brent. 
Yes, which I loved totally how that played out. I didn't, it didn't make me laugh at all, but it, I thought it was great. The other thing out of my personal experience is when I guess that Michael was explaining to Bad Janet about how one negative thing goes out to another. And she says, oh, like when someone throws up on a bus and then someone smells it and they throw up. So I had, and, and you'll appreciate this as a Bostonian, I had a, a hat that I bought at Fenway Park from the last season that Carl Yastrzemski played. And are you a baseball fan or is this going to? No, I'm sorry. No, anyway. Well, for the listeners who might be baseball fans and especially aren't. (laughs) You know, but you know, go Red Sox. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go Red Sox. And uh, Carl Strimson was a legendary member of the Sox. I didn't grow up here, but I was a Red Sox fan. And I had this hat and I wore it on my 11th grade trip to Israel, like everywhere. And we were riding a tour bus and I was, we would take turns at the microphone and the kids on the, you know, regaling, singing, telling jokes, whatever. And one girl got sick at this particular point and I could tell that she was trying to get <laughs> get off the bus to go throw up outside the road. She didn't get out in time. She threw up on me and my, and ruined my Kari Yastrzemski Yaz hat. Fortunately, I did not, uh, <laughs> I didn't throw up myself, but I went, I went right there when I heard that line. And it's funny, you know, Bad Janet is so, is so awesome. Although I think that for me, what I just love about Bad Janet is just Darcy Carden, just the idea that the same person can pull that off. She's well, so talented. Oh my God. Yes. We have many times said, oh, Ms. Carden, please, please come find us <laughs> so we can yeah, talk to you so and cool. uh, tell us <laughs> and worship you on this podcast. Any other good laughs there? Those were the ones, those were the ones I wrote down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, and I feel a little bad saying it, but just in intellectual and transparent honesty, this is not my favorite episode from a from a laugh point of view. And and I think there are, I think we're actually in a bit of a place in season four where the episodes are doing kind of moving the plot along work. Like, I guess the point of that, like, we do have to see the badness of, of Brent's kind of laid out in this issue kind of exposed. It only took him a few lines to kind of name that. And then, you know, the thing that Michael said at the end, which I guess we'll get into is sort of a lovely thought, although it could have probably been, you know, rolled in somewhere else. But, but as always happens, when I have these conversations, I appreciate what's, what's going on in the episode more. Well, and I think there was also really just a sense of the tremendous difficulty of what they're trying to do in actually changing human beings, making them into better people. Like they're really up against a lot. And, you know, one good ski trip does not mean that that (laughs) people are suddenly better. And even, you know, seeming to bond as a group is obviously, it was obviously key to the original group's success, but it's obviously not the only thing that's needed in order for people to become better. So I I think this, this episode really built up that challenge. Yeah. And in a way, it's a, it's a flip of, of a few episodes ago where Tahani and John, you know, had the, the conversations where Tahani was trying to, to move John off his gossipy ways. And, and we use that to explore this idea of of feedback, criticism, whatever. And in that episode, they went from, she tried to atmospherically sort of set up a situation where, where he would start to become more open to exploring himself or even studying ethics. And then she had to work her way toward being able to tell it to him straight. And eventually she, they did figure out a way to kind of say their stuff, you know, face to face to each other. This episode, it's a way sort of a rerun of that, except, it, except in the very real situation where it doesn't work. You know, they very briefly attempt to butter. Oh, that was my other line about Brent. I think the, that he's imp- the way he's improving is that instead of when he lost to Simone at cards, instead of flipping over the table and storming off, right. he just stormed off. <laughs> 
And um, yeah, I love that they got to like, not only do we have to confront him and like, we don't care if he, why should we be accommodating ourselves to him, which is, I think, an interesting riff on the idea too. Although it's interesting, like it doesn't work in this episode. And I think that's very real. And it's nice to show that. And also when I rewatched this episode, I also watched ahead a little bit just because I was enjoying the show. And, you know, at the very end of the experiment, Brent, whose points total has been going steadily down every day, <laughs> shoots up in the last like 10 seconds. And it's a result of being confronted by Chidi <laughs> and actually realizing that he's in the bad place. He's a bad person, right? And his point total still ends up at negative 1% of what it had been before, right? But somehow this a different kind of confrontation does eventually get to him. So, you know, in some ways I feel like they've been shying away from confronting Brent because they mm-hmm. see that it, it doesn't sink in, but I, I wonder if they're trying to suggest something about, about that value, even, even, even to someone who's not receptive. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, cause I think in, you know, it's so much of the show. I mean, look, so much of comedy is the, is the lead up. So obviously indirect is funnier and takes longer to develop than direct. And it also, you know, gives you the sort of the payoff on the, on the direct. I mean, so much of, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess, maybe, well, maybe that's not true. I suppose that the whole beginning of the show, you know, Eleanor sort of had to own up to being a, a bad person and revealing, at least in her mind, you know, particularly bad things in order for Chidi to convince her of the stakes of attempting to to move his behavior along. There was maybe a nice little callback to to his initial Aristotle lessons. Good repeated good action might lead to internalizing motivations. And I think it's Michael who who calls that out this time as their strategy with Brent, if we can just get him to to do a good thing. And I have to say, now that I'm thinking about it, see, now I said I said a bad thing earlier. I need to do my own chuva. I did like the line where where they're golfing and Michael, you know, uses the <laughs> the analogy of, of shooting a better golf shot and whatever he's says that, you know, if this, if this should happen, <laughs> apply to something else you think about later on. <laughs> I forget exactly how it just it. happens to. Yeah, right? It just happens to. And of course, you know that it's all yeah. going over Brent's head. <laughs> yeah. And he was so, he was so, yeah, he's so literal minded about, about everything he wouldn't catch on. So you want to take us into a deep dive? Yeah. So the thing about this episode that I was really responding to and thinking about some Jewish sources is the conversation at the beginning and the end between Michael and Bad Janet, because that's really a conversation about having hope in the human race and in humanity. Bad Janet is saying humans are blah, 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 bad to the bone. And, and Michael is the one who's arguing for giving people a chance and giving people the opportunity to continue to change and grow. And so it recalled to mind two different sources, one from the Talmud and one from Genesis Rabbah, that both deal with this question of should humans have been created? So in the Talmud, there's this discussion in Eruvin 13b. The sages taught the following teaching. For two and a half years, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel disagreed. These say it would have been preferable had humanity not been created than to have been created. And these said it is preferable for humanity to have been created than to have not been created. Ultimately, they voted and they concluded it would have been preferable had humanity not been created. However, now that humans have been created, they should examine their actions and seek to correct them. And some say they should 
scrutinize their planned actions and decide whether they should do what they were planning on. So to me, this text seems to really connect to this whole conversation because there's this idea when I think about, oh, would it have been better if humanity had been created or not? It's almost a question of like, what's the net impact? Are we having a net positive impact on the world or a net negative impact on the world? And in some ways, the answer is, well, maybe we think it's negative, but now that we're here, we should actually take this question to heart and we should think about the impact of our behavior and our actions on the world. And so, you know, when I think about Michael's closing message, really, you know, he says, what matters isn't if people are good or bad, what matters is if they're trying to be better today than they were yesterday. That's that's the exact same message here, I think, as, as in this Gemara, this idea that what matters is what comes next. Mm. Yeah, that is that is super interesting. Uh, that occurred to me also the text that you're talking about here. And although you know the one flaw in the conclusion, it seems to me, is that if people are so bad that we can agree they shouldn't have been created, we shouldn't have been created. How likely is it that we are going to <laughs> enough of us go explore our actions and or our our plans? Right, but in some ways it doesn't matter because we're here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so better make the best of it. The other text that I was thinking of is similar. It's from Genesis Rabbah, and it's actually, it's a discussion that is set before humans are created, where the heavenly beings are debating whether humans should be created. And the ones who represent different virtues are arguing either for or against the creation of humans. So kindness says humans could be should be created because they'll bestow kindness. Truth says they should not be created because they're made of lies. Righteousness said they should be created, they'll do righteous acts. And peace says they shouldn't be created because they are dissension. What did God do? God took truth, flung truth to the ground, and then goes ahead and creates humanity. And basically tells the angels, like, stop arguing because humans have already been created. So I think, again, there's this idea of there's all of these different virtues coming up, these different qualities that maybe we don't always do the best at, but some of them really only can exist because humans are in the world. And so how can we make the best of the situation we're at? Uh, when I think about truth being cast to the ground, I'm thinking a little bit of bad Janet saying, I know every single deed of human. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I have the accounting. I can tell you all of the things. And Michael's saying, I don't care about the past. I see that they're trying for the future. And, and that's that's what I care about. I think that we have brought that text here before. I want to say it was Dan Ross, but I'll have to go check my work on this. And that is interesting. I was exactly what you say about bad Janet. And and I guess that's, oh, you know, we talk about who these whatever eternal beings are in the, the good place universe. And I guess Michael has lots of powers, but he doesn't have complete knowledge, which is why he has Janet to begin with. And Although good Janet also has that knowledge and she's not arguing the same thing that bad Janet is. No, I think feel like when good Janet will point out things, it's often like fun fact, you know, <laughs> Columbus, what was the thing about Columbus, did, you know, wiping out all the... Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, terrible, right. But 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 she actually does know all the bad things and she's not using that to say that they shouldn't help humans. Well, yeah, I'm I'm now sort of intrigued on that light because you know the Janets, they have all this knowledge, but they they aren't really 
supposed to, or at least a good Janet is not supposed to be evaluative, I guess, at all, you know, since originally Janet doesn't have feelings or assessments until she gets involved. Bad Janet. I don't know how bad, well, I guess they're all demons. Everyone's a demon originally in this, in this situation, but it's interesting, but that does show that like, you know, just like Beit Shammai. Not a, not a girl, not a, not a computer. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. You know, in the first text, Beit Shammai, I mean, they and Beit Hillel are both, you know, sets of smart sages and they just look at the situation differently. But Michael's in a situation where I guess he's chosen to just look at certain of the facts he doesn't deny, you know, what, what bad Janet says at all. So, but it does raise the question of like, is, is the knowledge of as much evil and bad impact going on? Does it make it harder to reach the conclusion? And the Talmud in the, in the first text says that, you know, okay, now we need to sort of accommodate, you know, like we can't, we can't like delude ourselves into that. Everything is good about humanity. So we have to to move on from here. That's a, that's a big move. And Michael who's had now, you know, 803 plus however many Baramis to sort of watch this over and over again. He's got, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of faith and hope that. Right. And he's been, I mean, he's been in the bad place. He knows all the terrible things people have done, right. He's, you know, been in that, in that kind of perspective too, of punishing people for what they've done. And yet he is able to have this tremendous hope. I suppose on the other side of that too is that the the fact that that he doesn't marbleize bad Janet and maybe I'm maybe I'm going a little too far here is saying like my answer to this is not to sort of eliminate all evidence of the things that she says you know I mean there are obviously maybe. more bad Janets he can't mar he can't marbleize them all but but he's not he's, he's not, not throwing kinda... trees to the ground yeah well that's interesting yeah yeah although he is you know. He is preventing her from ruining the experiment, right? He's removing her from that situation. But, hmm. yeah. but he's not, and he's willing to somehow integrate that. I guess he's the, the model of the synthesis in the first text. But wow, throwing truth to the ground. Yeah. But he seems like he accommodate, like he is like, I mean, how do you understand that Midrash? Is God saying, God is not saying, I don't care about truth. But God is saying that's not maybe the only thing God's listening to. I don't know. It's a little troubling. <laughs> Truth is so important in order to have a shared reality, right? It's clearly not an unimportant virtue. I mean, without it, we kind of fall apart. I mean, the the part that I didn't read that, you know, goes on is the angels said before God, master of worlds, why do you despise your seal of truth? Let truth rise from the ground. And then there's this idea that like truth maybe isn't coming from on high coming from below so i don't know well it does go yeah yeah no go ahead no and and i say this as someone who's like inclined to hope which obviously can be critiqued also but that if you say that the abstract you know accounting style judgment of truth which you know the show has already sort of well said is is sort of it is a vantage point but it's not the vantage point the show seems to adopt or whatever the main characters seem to adopt they're looking for an alternative and if you say well the you know truth it has to has to spring up from the ground that it's going to have to emerge and now and now actually i'm thinking that 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 is sort of what happens with obviously they're not on earth so we can't make more the neighborhood is not on earth but wherever wherever it is simone you know particularly is like you know okay this is the truth brent is is awful and here are the ways in which she is awful and that kind of particular you know truth naming is not something we get a ton of you know without a laugh i think in the in the series really right although that's a really important truth telling that like the you know eleanor is is too afraid 
to do that kind of truth telling mm. because she's worried about how it'll impact Brent and maybe even Simone. But a- actually, in this case, that's what needs to happen. He just needs to be what he's doing just needs to be labeled as unacceptable instead of being accommodated. And I guess it works better to contextualize that. And okay, we've tried some different approaches toward the truth about Brent is, is at least a more, a better way of that truth mattering than just somebody looking from afar, bad Janet style or demon style and saying, look at all these truths about them. It also doesn't mean that they're writing off Brent. They're still going to try and make him a better person, but they're just going to name his problem, name the things that he's doing that are bad, because actually that's important for the people around him as well as for him, mm-hmm. right? Like Simone says this very logical thing. Why are we still dealing with this in heaven? Right? <laughs> this is such a problem on earth of people accommodating these entitled <laughs> people who don't know how much they're harming others. Why are we dealing with this in the good place? And I think it kind of makes them realize, oh, they can't actually go about this by creating this world that's just a replica of these negative dynamics on earth. Yeah, I can really empathize myself with with both sides of both these debates because I I cannot shake the idea that the the overall picture matters. I mean, the ideas that they came up with at the end are kind of lame, you know, for how they're going to attempt to get one John to do whatever, maybe force Brent to help out in some fashion. Like that's pretty small stuff. And I think small stuff is smaller than big stuff. Like I do believe that. And yet somehow, so in that sense, I like the, I like some version of a measuring or a comparing quantities of good or, you know, that the it, next it, shot it isn't the feel, only, that, yeah. <laughs> it, it did feel lame, right? Like this yeah. is the thing that's giving him hope. Like it seems so far-fetched. Yeah. Tahani's going to like discuss getting highlights or something and let John, but I, it's interesting because I actually thought that if you want to really look for hope in what happens in the episode, it's how other characters act. Mm-hmm. John actually does some great rowing. He finds out about, Jason and doesn't tell anybody. He holds it in. So I think there is some growing from other characters there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true, actually. And it's, uh, I was going to say that the other side on me is that I've had this discussion in our synagogue that we have X number of time to invite speakers to come. And there are all kinds of people who are interesting on issues that we care about. And I said, you know, in the subset of people who are interesting on on something we really care about, and often it's, you know, Israel is sort of the paradigm topic, Israel-Palestine, I want to hear from someone who tells the truth and is hopeful over someone who tells maybe that same truth and is like, it would have been better if, you know, none of this had ever been created, to use the the language of the, the text here. And that's my inclination, I guess, is to, is that's, that's my, my synthesis. So I definitely don't want someone to say, oh, don't worry about that bad stuff. I want, I want to be faced with that, but I do definitely want to be faced with it in a hopeful spirit. And I guess in that sense, Michael at the end doesn't say six months at the experiment and I've got every confidence that we're going to pass the test. (laughs) Really all he says is we're going to try, I'm going to change my behavior and then we'll do the next thing, which is both. So to me, that's both really satisfying and super unsatisfying. That's my struggle. This whole, this whole series, I think. I mean, I think the thing that's uplifting about the end is not the little ideas that they have. It's their hope that they have to not give up and Mm -hmm. to continue moving forward. 
And hopefully from the small ideas, bigger ideas will come, something big will come of it, but that they're not being demoralized by their failures. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we, it's a, it's a few years since the episodes of the good place were actually broadcast and it seems like a lot has happened. I I feel like, you know, it, it was definitely already me too, but it wasn't, it wasn't George Floyd, for instance. And so I think, I think you couldn't possibly have a a series in this era and not talk about racism and sexism, but they do sort of located in, you know, obviously Brent's perspective, which we understand is not helpful at all. is like, they're being mean to me. I don't have a racist or sexist bone in my body. I am a good person, but he is actually, you know, he's not, he's not a, he doesn't have implicit bias. He's actually, he's actually sexist and racist (laughs) and they're not offering to solve. Yeah. Right. It's not that he would consciously say, oh, I think women are terrible and and people of other races are bad, right? So like in some ways it is implicit in him. It's just, he's very thick. But like that, I mean, that's the insidiousness of like, oh, I don't hate other people. I just think that I happen to be better than them. Yeah, I guess that's true. And I guess when they ask the sort of like, why do we have to continue to deal with this in heaven? They are you know, I guess they don't, I don't know, they don't have the time to sort of unpack that as like, this is a thing built into humanity, into human systems. You know, they're dealing with this guy. Why do we have to deal with guys like this? But I agree with you. I think they deal more with the sexism than with the racism. And I I would imagine that maybe if this had been a few years later, they would have maybe done done more with that. I guess the way they deal in the show is, you know, Eleanor is progressively empowered in the court and, and really each of them. I mean, I guess you really think of, Eleanor and in these episodes to Hani and then even, you know, Simone, even though she's not part of our core cast as being the people who are really running the show these days. And the the guys are a little goofy and, you know, I mean, they're either evil like Brent or they're, or they're just goofy <laughs> and they're catching up. <laughs> TV supplies some good also, ideas at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think through, through Brent and through some of the bad place demons, they are kind of lifting up some of those negative dynamics and interactions when it, when it comes to sexism. You see that, again, not super strongly, but you definitely see it in the first rent. Yeah. So I think what you were saying is that the the way the end of the show sets it up is that it, it kind of comments on this question in the text of these big ideas and whether they are helpful to us in framing our, our own ethical choices or paths in the world. And in a way, each text is saying, let's not get too absolute about concept A, B, or C, whether it's truth or the existential value of humanity. Let's let's move forward on these. And, and is that sort of a critique, would you say, of, of like trying to go too extreme on, okay, we can use one virtue or something as our, our measure of everything? Yeah, I think it probably is. I think it's also in some ways saying, like, we are who we are. There's a lot to celebrate. We actually don't need to take a total accounting of all of humanity, but we should do our best to make sure that our impact is overall positive. Once we're here, that should be our mission. But it it seems maybe a little bit futile to, to be too engaged in this question because we are here. So this is an opportunity. Yeah. And I guess in, in the sense that what I, what I do like, and I, and I guess I do like in the end of the episode too, is that the stakes are high. They are not just about, you know, encouraging these handful of people. These handful of people have the destiny of the species in their hands, even though they, they don't know it, but, but our people, our gang does know it. 
that that's that there's a connection. And, and I like that. I would like to think that the little circle that I'm a part of has some connection to the destiny of the the whole. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially to think that that your that small things that you could do could really have an impact like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you find yourself thinking much about you know should humanity have been created or not? Does the question even resonate for you? That's a good question. I don't know about should or shouldn't, but I think the question of are we making a royal mess of things does, right? I mean, it can feel really depressing and weighty to think about all of the negative impacts that humans are having right now. So I I think it can feel like a very, it's, it's easy to get stuck in that space. So I think the message of of hope and move forward and work with what you have is a very helpful message that allows us to actually do something and Mm -hmm. not just feel stuck in that sense of, oh no, (laughs) there's so many terrible things in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Apple phone chargers aside. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think, thanks to the European Union, I think is going to ultimately be standardized. I I have yeah, maybe not for the phones we currently have, but for future ones that we'll then have to buy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think about this, I guess, lately, as we're recording it, this now, we are in the part of the Torah, which is kind of paradoxically been both horrendous and hopeful, because it's been about the exodus from Egypt, and really looking at the, you know, the terrible descent into oppression and slavery, which is obviously so, so bad, and and has erased some of the the lifting up in Genesis that had been done, you know, with the ancestors, but then there's this tremendous redemption and it's really hard work. And, and I know in our, in our synagogue, we were talking about whether the, obviously the Egyptians were not apparently according to the Torah themselves transformed, you know, that wasn't part of the deal. The Israelites get, get not only get rescued, but they get transformed, which is awesome. And that's what the Torah, you know, chooses to lay that both out and say, okay, those, those folks got left behind and they, they suffered for their oppression and they didn't, they didn't reform their system afterwards. But look at this amazing thing, which has happened. And, and I do find myself sort of trying to figure out how to, how to make sure to, to tell the truth about both sides of that equation and end up with the forward, the forward movement and the, and the hope, which I fundamentally am. Sometimes I think, and this is sort of taking us out of the, the good place text that I situated with the privileges that I have being hopeful about the possibilities of humanity, it seems like a lot easier for me. There's less, there's less cost to me, or it's less of a gamble for me to to say that. And I am conscious of that. And and the privilege of having stories of even suffering in our history, in Jewish history, that sort of become stories of hope as of as they played out. I mean, I think your comment about privilege is very true. And also, I think without hope, it's very hard to go on. So I think hope it. Maybe, maybe separate from optimism, right? Hmm. But hope that there's a that there's a chance for something better. I think feels fundamental in a certain way. That that without it, we really get stuck. So certainly, to be able to have hope, you know, may come somewhat with privilege, but it, but it's also it's also just so valuable in order to have an opening. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly what I want to hear. So thank you, Rabbi, for <laughs> giving me that. <laughs> I mean, that's what the episode's saying, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about trying to do better tomorrow than than today, or better today than yesterday. 
So I do have to kind of revise my my view on the episode as a whole, because I think that I, I really like the occasion it gives to to go back over this question of of hope, which will get, you know, clarified and even more more so as the as the season and the series comes to an end. And they really have to take a stand on this and not only and convince the judge about the answer to the questions about humanity. And uh, and I I for myself just like the opportunity to to talk it through over and over again. Yeah. And you know, and it's interesting because in these rabbinic texts, the idea of whether humans should or shouldn't have been created is a theoretical construct. But in the show, it actually becomes a real practical question because the mm-hmm. judge has the capacity to cancel Earth, right? So we haven't gotten there. That's a, that's in a few episodes, but in some ways, that's where we're building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I when I do think about the the rabbis who are the sources of the the Talmud or the Midrash that you gave us, I think that they lived in times which are probably harder than now in order to be hopeful. They were looking at a world that was Roman Byzantine and you know fairly violent, and they themselves did not have uh, political freedom, even probably against the backdrop of their time, even compared you know compared to their rulers or other people. And so I find it really interesting that they were able to name that and then sort of come out the other end and saying, well, we have this Torah, which sort of points us to a more hopeful look on this. And, and then I think, wow, if they, if they could keep that going and they didn't have as many options as we do to make that real, you know, surely I living in a time where I have a lot of power to try to actualize those hopes, you know, should, should not how, give that up. How dare we give up hope if, if they were able to do it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a good perspective. This was great. Thank you. Great to talk to you, Leora. We will, I'm sure, do this again before our series is all over. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always fun to talk about The Good Place. and Not having you. We build this whole thing all together. So. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. And that's another episode of Tove in the Books. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear your reactions and questions, which you can send our way by email to tove at tovegoodplace.com or connect through Facebook at Tove Good Place. That's our Twitter handle, too. We've got notes on this episode at tovegoodplace.com. If you appreciate the podcast or enjoy it, make sure you're subscribed and take a moment to give us a good rating. Leora Kling Perkins has a blog at timesofisrael.com, which you can find through our host page. I'm John Spirisavet, and I'm online at rabbijohn.net and on Twitter at rabbijs3. Thanks again for listening. Now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.